I forgot for a moment that I was the pastor and I had to preach. I was like, please don't stop playing. Please don't stop playing. Oh, wait. Now I got to do my part. Bummer. What a letdown. And that was awesome. I don't, man, I, I just can't explain this. Like, there's just these moments where uh, you have you, you have worship like that, and um, you don't really know what to say after that. Now, it might have just been me in my seat, but um, I'm having to, like, calm down for a second. A couple years ago, it was like 2005, uh, not that long ago. That was more than a few. I think it was like 2014, 15. There was this dude, and his name was Nick Walinda. My man is just crazy. I mean, like, crazy. I don't know that I would hang out with him, because he's the, he's the kind of guy that just gets all these, like, wild ideas, like, let's go do this, and you're like, no, I shouldn't, but yes, I really want to, you know? So Nick Walinda gets this idea that he's going to break a record. He's going to walk 14 hundred feet. That would be the record for me this week of how far I've walked. I haven't walked that far this week. You know, I'm feeling kind of, I don't know. Anyway, doesn't matter. Nick Walenda, he's like, I'm going to walk 1,400 feet, but this 1,400 feet is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be 1,500 feet off the ground across the Grand Canyon. Anybody watch this? It was like, yeah, it was like 2014, 15, somewhere around, no, 2013 maybe, it doesn't matter. Did, did you remember watching? I mean, it was this big thing. And, um, but he's not the first person to have walked across the Grand Canyon before, but he is the first person to walk across the Grand Canyon with zero safety features. There was no net underneath him to catch him. There was no harness, like, tied to the, the actual tightrope. My man is going to tightrope 1,400 feet, 1,500 feet above the ground with no safety features at all. So I look at him, and I'm like, we all watched. I mean, like, all of America who knew about it, apparently you didn't know about it, but we all watched uh, as this dude, because there's a part of you that's like, I want to watch it when something goes crazy. Like, I want to be watching the TV. It, no? Just me? Okay. All right. Every, one, every other one of y'all is praying, Lord, please help this guy get across. And I'm like, oh, he's about to slip. He's about to slip. Aaron, watch, watch, watch. Watch his right foot. Watch his right foot. His next step, watch. Did you see it? No, man. We all were gripped. And I think a little bit inspired. Because he has a courage that I don't have. He's got like this fearless, I don't know, ambition that I just don't have, don't really care to have. A little bit of like just earned insanity that I don't, I don't have. But here's, here's what happened. As I watched him, there were characteristics about him that I did want. I, I wanted to... I wanted to be that courageous. I wanted to be that confident and, and that bold. And as I read through the story this week, uh, if, if you're new with us here at Restore Church, or this year, first Sunday with us, we're going through a resource called The Story. And it's on the front of your, uh, it's on the front of your, your bulletin right here. And basically, it's, it's put the Bible in narrative form, so it makes it easier for us to read uh, as a story. 
And so it, it's taken um, the, the book titles and chapter numbers and, and the verse numbers out. And, and if you picked it up and were to read it left to right, it reads like a story. They don't change the meaning of the Bible to make it fit what they want. It just helps us and it's a good resource. And so this week was the story of Daniel. It's a familiar story, man. You, if you grew up in church, you did the whole flannel board thing where you put them up, you know, on the, on the, the graph. You did the whole Daniel and the lion's den songs, and I'm not going to sing them for you. Um, it would just make everyone else look bad, you know, and I don't want to take away from that. But as I, as I read through Daniel, it brought me back to this tightrope walker because I, I read about, I read Daniel, and I'm like, man, I want to be fearless like that. I want to have courage like that. I want to stand up for my God like that. And so I'm hoping that as we read, we're going to just look at a few of the highlights of Daniel. You probably remember these stories. Or if you read through them in the story, you definitely read them. Um, we're going to look at a few of the stories of Daniel in Daniel's life. And I think we're going to come up, I think we will, come up with the reason why, why was Daniel so able to be fearless? I mean, why did he have such courage? Why such strength? So if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to find the book of Daniel. If, you've, if you're following along in the story, it's chapter 19. Uh, we've got Bibles for you. If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible and you need one, uh, just flip your hand up real quick. And it uh, looks like Sasha and Kirsten, they'll bring you uh, a Bible. You can follow along on the Restore Church app. Uh, or on the YouVersion Bible app, or on the screen. If, you're, if you got one of the orange Bibles that we're passing out, it's on page 604. Six, uh, 604? Uh, 604. It's not an O, it's a zero. I make my English, 11th grade English teacher so happy that I just did that. Any English teachers in here? Okay. Well, then I don't care if you're happy or not. All right, so here's where we are. I I just want to let you know where we've left off in the story. God's people was, they were at one point one nation led by David and then King Solomon. King Solomon died, and everyone thought that his son uh, should be the king. Well, his son kind of blew that, and so the, the nation, God's nation, became divided, became the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, um, Israel and Judah. Well, neither nation really turned to God. They kind of went on their own ways. And the northern kingdom was taken captive by a nation called Assyria. They came into the, capti- or into the capital and destroyed the capital. It sent people in this panic. They were scared. They ran away. And now they're living in a nation that they don't really know how to live in. So then uh, God tried to warn the people of Judah. But they didn't listen. They did at first, but then it kind of wore off. The people of Judah... Uh, in Judah was Jerusalem where the temple was. They didn't really listen to God, and so the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem, and then they took captive all of, all of um, everyone who lived in Jerusalem. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and he decides that he's going to take for him all of the, the strong men, the wise men, the, the best of the best, he's going to take them and use them for, for his own, I don't know, his own kingdom. So that's where, we're, that's where we find Daniel. And so uh, Daniel, when you read Daniel, you've got to know this. Some of you uh, are in Jacksonville, 
and you've never been here before. You're just getting used to living here, and it feels like a strange place, right? A lot of us, well, no, 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 I, not, not me in particular, but some of you have been here for a while and don't want to be here. Uh, like, you, you just can't wait to get out of here. Some of you just can't wait to get out and go home. You get some of the feeling that Daniel has. Daniel is now living in the nation of Babylon, following the Babylonian rules, trying to find the Babylonian radio stations, right? These are not the Jerusalem radio stations. And where am I supposed to get my nails done, Daniel might ask. Uh, Where's this good Chinese restaurant? Um, You know, all those things. But not only that, his people are the outsiders. They're not welcomed in. They're not welcomed in. But Daniel is because of his stature and because of his wisdom. So here we are. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, all right? Um, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. You'll recognize these. To Daniel, he calls him Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now remember, we're trying to look to see, Daniel is going to be a man of courage, strength, boldness, a man of faith and conviction. And we're trying to see just exactly what it is that makes him that way. And so, uh, look at verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. If you have uh, one of these Bibles, we want this to be yours. Take it home. Make this your your Bible. Um, Or you have your own Bible, or you have version, or the Bible app, whatever. Uh, Verse 9 underline the words, it says this, now God had caused, underline the words God had caused in verse 9. So Daniel asked this this official, hey, can we, like, I I don't want to eat the royal food and the royal wine, and it puts the chief official in this kind of predicament. So he said, here's what I'd like for you to do. If you were to Google the Daniel fast, it comes from this. He says, here's what I'd like for you to do. For the next 10 days, just feed us uh, vegetables and water. That's all we want. That's all we're going to eat. Us four. And at the end of 10 days, I want you to compare us with your men, the ones who are eating the royal food and the royal wine. So pick up in verse 15, in chapter 1, verse 15, and we'll see again the rest of the story. Verse 15, it says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So, the guard took away their choice food and the the royal wine, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables and said, To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Look, in verse 17, if you've got your own Bible, underline in verse 17, God gave. 
God gave knowledge and understanding. So Daniel has the gall to stand up to this guy. He's like, man, this is not where God's leading us. God's more powerful. So, so watch what happens. And, and then in verse 20, it says this, um, in, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. This sermon's not about this, but I just, I just want to talk to the Christ followers for a minute. There's some of us here who are atheists. Look, we're glad you're here, man. Ask all the questions you want. This is the best church for you to be in. If you're just kind of discovering God, you have a lot of questions about God and about Jesus, you're in the best, like you're in a good place. You're in a safe place. Ask questions. We want you to discover God with us. I want to talk to the Christ followers for a minute. You have to believe that God's way is better and that God's plan for you is better than any other plan out there, even when it's uncomfortable and not what you want. Daniel knew that this nutrition plan, for whatever reason, was better for him and his men than to take the royal wine and this royal food that's probably been sacrificed to other idols. And he says, man, just leave us with ours and then compare us. We believe God's plan is better. So Daniel stands up to this chief official. He's been dragged away. Listen, he's been dragged away from his home. He's forced to live in a place that he doesn't know, uh, he doesn't know really anything. And now he's being forced to work for a king that's not his king. Can you imagine? Yes, some of you can't imagine. I want to tell you, we need people in our society now who are going to stand up for what they believe in. Not who are just going to sit to the background. I don't know if this is you or if, if you're here. We need public officials who will stand up and say, this is not, and try to, try to lead our community, try to lead our city, try to lead our county, our state, and our nation into right behind the feet of Jesus. We need people who are going to act like Daniel. They're going to stand up when society and the Christian life clash. Use scripture the way it's intended to be used. And, um, you know, I think there's one thing I tend to forget. Because while I'm asking you to do the same thing, I also need to be asking myself to do the same thing. We're going through the story. Those of you who have been going through the story with us, you're going to shout this answer out. So get ready. Get prepared. All right? <laughs> Who's the main character of the story? It's God. Oh, you didn't have to be so excited about it. Good gracious. It's God. God is the main character of the story. The story. Now, we've been using this language a lot. There's the upper story and there's the lower story. The upper story is God's redemptive plan from, from the garden, Adam and Eve, to the new garden, the new resurrection, when Jesus comes back to get his people. That's the upper story. But the upper story is made up of the lower story. And the lower story is everything we read here in the Bible. But here's what we also believe, is you and I are participating in the lower story right here and right now. Here's what I tend to forget. Sometimes I forget that God's the main character of the story. I want to be the main character of the story. I mean, I'm good looking. I don't know why you laughed at that. Thanks for not. I'm really funny. I'm kind of smart, Alec, sometimes. 
Like, I want to be the, because the world revolves around me. Like, I, and, and man, every time I get the reminder that I'm not the main character of the story, and I don't want to burst your bubble, but you aren't either. And that's one thing that Daniel had his perspective on, is that you and I are just, we're just like filling out this cameo appearance in God's movie, while God's the main character. And so, um, even in this scene, the chief official who's, who's like putting the parameters out there, he might think he's in control, but here's what Daniel knew that all of us need to, to leave here with today, is that God's in control. And so can, can you say loud or quietly, enthusiastically, or like, man, shut up, however you want to say it, but can, can you just say God is in control? Yeah, thanks for that. Appreciate it. All right, so let's look at the next story in Daniel. We're going to do it a few more times, so get your courage up. Um, we're going to look at the next story. And the next story is a little bit more complex than the first story, but the main character stays the same. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he's on his high horse. He's pretty arrogant. He's, uh, I used to have more coordination than that. Um, he, has, uh, he has this dream and he doesn't know what to do with the dream. And so he's like, man, I've got all these people who work for me, these, these enchanters, these, uh, these magicians, these wise men, astrologers, that I kind of pay their way. I, I give them the food. I've given them their position in my kingdom. And so I've got all these people around me. So what he says is, hey, tell me what my dream means. But here's the twist. Nebuchadnezzar says, but I'm not going to tell you what my dream was. You have to tell me what my dream was, and then, uh, and then tell me what it means. What? <laughs> Dude, you are so arrogant. I mean, like, for real. So then he, he sends them away, and you can probably imagine what happens next. They come back, and they're like, King, we can't tell you. We don't know what you dreamt. Oh. Uh, if, there's probably one of them in there that's like me that just tries to make something up and hopes you're right on. Like, I don't know, man, you were like falling on a vine and then you, you, weren't, you weren't falling on. You were climbing the vine and then, no, okay. Was there a vine in the dream at all? So King Nebuchadnezzar gets really angry. And because the men can't tell him what his dream was, they can't tell him what the dream was about. And let's, let's just be real, there's no man, then or now, who can do this without God's power. Verse 12 says that, in, in uh, verse 12 in chapter 3, or in chapter 2, says that, that King Nebuchadnezzar was so furious that he orders the execution of all of the wise men in Babylon which includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so the man comes, to, his name is Arioch, the man comes to kill Daniel and the others. And this is where we pick up in chapter 2, uh, verses 14 to 23. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. Verse 15, he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time 
so that he may interpret the dream for him. Then, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Check out verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. Check this one out. Listen, you have given me wisdom and power. Underline, you have given. You have made known to me what he asked of you. Underline, you have made known. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Underline, you have made known. You, you kind of see what's happening here. Look at what happens when Daniel reveals what the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, first he lets King Nebuchadnezzar know where the dream came from. Look at verse 27. So he gets the, God blesses him with this, like with understanding of the dream. He praises God. Thank you, God. You gave me the wisdom. It wasn't me. You gave discernment and knowledge. It wasn't me. And he comes to King Nebuchadnezzar, tells him what the dream means. Verse, chapter 2, verse 27, it says, Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he had asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come, your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying here in this bed. And then he goes on to tell King Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was about. But even, even there, Daniel says, it's God who reveals mysteries. It wasn't me. And none of these men could have ever done that. It was only God. Then he spells out the dream for Nebuchadnezzar in, in the next few verses. There's a lot of interpretation about what the dream really um, originally meant, but Daniel knew when this situation came, it was him and his three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He knew there's only one way out of the situation. I don't know. Are you in a situation? Are you needing something? Right, and, and like you just don't know a way out, you don't have a way out or, or a way in, you don't have an open door or you need a door to be closed. Maybe it's a disease or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a spiritual disease. Maybe we need to hit our knees the way that Daniel did. Going to God and saying, man, there's only one way out here. Verse 47 to 48, this is how King Nebuchadnezzar replies, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of the wise men. 
So where do you go in your times of desperation? One common theme around here you'll hear are desperate prayers. The Bible's filled with them. And if you're making down notes or making a list, here's another one. Daniel understood what we keep forgetting, and maybe you've already forgotten even since the last time we've said it. Who's the main character of the story? It's God. But as you read this, you might think Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar might think Daniel, or the king official might think that Daniel is the main character of the story, but they keep pointing it back to God. Daniel keeps pointing it back to God. Listen, God is in control. You can say it however loud you want or not say it at all, but let's, let's choose now. One, two, three. God is in control. Man, that was a lot loud. That was awesome. All right, one more story. We're going to keep it a little bit shorter because I think you're getting the point and you really don't want to say God's in control again. It's in uh, Daniel chapter 3. So if you're flipping through your hardback Bible, uh, you, you can flip right there. This is the story you're most familiar with with Daniel. It's, that's in Daniel. Daniel's not even really a key player here, but it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're given these high positions in the nation of Babylon. Here's what happens. Anybody remember the Veggie Tales story of this? Right? Yeah. The bunny, the bunny. Oh, I love the bunny. Man, just karaoke all over the place today. Um, yeah, so King Nebuchadnezzar wrecks this huge golden statue of himself. And when everyone is given the sign or the, the, the sound, they're all to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar, or at least this statue of him. There comes a time when the sound goes, the statue is, is, is right there, everyone hits their knees except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow down to this golden statue of, of anybody. They've seen what happens when the nation of Israel worships golden things. And they stand. I imagine they stand a little bit taller. They want to be known. They stick their chest out a little bit. Here's the thing, they knew the consequences that King Nebuchadnezzar had set for anyone who didn't worship this golden idol of him. King Nebuchadnezzar said, anybody who doesn't worship, we're going to throw them into a fiery furnace to die. But these are King Nebuchadnezzar's boys. Like, he's given them the spot. Daniel's hooked King Nebuchadnezzar up, and these are Daniel's boys. Like, he doesn't want this to happen. So let's bring them in. Let's talk about it. Surely this is a misunderstanding. But in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Like, I love this. I just imagine, like, their nostrils flare a little bit, you know? Like they, they might even like clench their fists and they're like, look, we're not going to bow down to you, punk. <laughs> if you got this plan to kill us, our God is going to save us. And I'm like in the back like, yeah, yeah, y'all are the man. But then verse 18 happens. But even if he doesn't, and I'm like, what? Where did all your courage go? He says, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. If you're underlining with me, verse 18, 
understanding that God is in control is the beginning of verse 18. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I don't know, like, I don't have, I don't know, sometimes I do have that faith, sometimes I don't. What about you? I want to be, verse 17, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to be the one that stands up and says, God's going to deliver me from this, right? I want to be the one that stands up and says, God's got my back, and he's going to see me through this, and I'm going to come out better than before. You know, I'm, I'm the one that wants to post all these, like, real inspirational things on Facebook, you know, like. But if, if we had real faith and real trust in God, we would say, but, but God, even if you choose not to, That's what it really means to be in con- to give God control and to trust that God is in control. Is to say, God, you're in control. Whatever you want to do, I'll follow you. And that's not always comforting. But that's what uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego does. And the story goes on. King Nebuchadnezzar gets so angry that they would say something like this. Remember, these are his boys. Now he's like, turn up the furnace. Make it seven times hotter, right? He makes it so hot that the people that threw them into the furnace died while trying to get them into the furnace. And after leaving them in there for a few minutes, King Nebuchadnezzar notices that it's not three men in the furnace, but it's four. There are four men in the fire. The Bible says that they would say that one with the appearance like the son of the gods. I, I don't know. Some, some commentators, some academics, they, they think that it's Jesus. Some think that it's the same angel that will come in, in Daniel chapter 6 and close the mouths of the lion, the lions. It doesn't matter. I don't know. But here's what I do know. God's in control. And he's got the back of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's really easy for God to defend those who are willing to stand up for him. Okay. So what? Right? Like, all that's good. If you've been around church, you probably know those stories. God's in control, and or you you know those stories of Daniel. You've you've probably even heard or or learned that God's in control. So, so what does this mean for you, or for us, or what's next for us? I want to I want to just add a, a few different takeaways. I, I'm in this season of life where I'm I'm watching my kids grow up really fast. And uh, I looked at my son the other day. Uh, you know what's amazing, parents? When we look up from our phones long enough to notice our kids, uh, they will amaze you. Put your dumb phone down. That's PG version there. I'm preaching myself there. And, um, man, I, I played war with my kid, card game. You, got, you guys remember that game? I just taught him, and he's ate up with it. Like, we had to pause last night because I was like, dude, we've played too long. Just put it together. No, I'm going to win tomorrow. I was like, all right, geez. I, I, um, 
so I, I'm, in this, I'm in this mode of just watching my kids develop, and, and I'm trying to, in this season of, of life, just teach myself to sit down and shut up and watch. And, um, and so just watching your kids, and here's, here's the thing. My kids trust me. And it's not because I'm awesome, it's just because they don't know any different, but they, they, they trust me. And, and we, have this, we have this conversation every night. Sit down and eat your food. If you get up again, bedtime will be coming sooner than you thought. I'm going to go to my, sit in the chair on my phone. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, like, like, sit down and eat. They, sometimes they don't even know what they're eating. Right? They, they, they trust me. There's this picture I have of Sadie. She's a little bit younger because I'm not that strong now. But I would pick her up and hold her. And she would just bend over my hands. Like, this is her back. And she would just like, uh, which describes Sadie. If you know Sadie, that's just her. She's just like, uh. And I would hold her up. And now I'm not strong enough because I'm weak and she's getting bigger. Um, but that picture, I love to go back to it. It teaches me so much about God because, man, sometimes God's just got us like that. But we don't, we don't think it. Do I have the power to drop that girl? Yep. Actually, I have less power, and maybe I would drop her, but, but I have the, also have the power to just keep holding her in the air. The thing about giving God control is, is the trust factor. Like, God, you know what's best for me, even when I don't. You know what's best for my marriage, even when I don't. You know what's better for my kids than I do. You know what's better for me than I do. And you know what? Sometimes that's letting us fall. But sometimes it's holding us up. I want God to have more control in my life. Here's, here's what you and I have to do is we have to give it to him. Like, you would have never learned to drive if your parents always had their hand on the steering wheel. Right? Like, Maybe your parents should have had their hand on the steering wheel more, but you would have never learned to drive. It's counterproductive. Your parents never said, all right, you have control, but you, you do 10 and 2, and I'll do 12. <laughs> like, it never happened. You would have never been there. It, a matter of giving control is just letting God have it and trusting him enough to watch the rest of it. I can't wait to see what's going to happen in your life if you give God control. I, I, I got an idea of what might happen. But I, I know that in this room right now, some of us have anxiety to the point that it affects us physically. I know that in this room right now, that some of us worry. We worry to the point that it affects our normal, everyday life. Some of us in this room, we have financial troubles to the point that money is all we ever think about. How will we pay that bill? Where's my next career move? How can I get that next raise? Some of us in this room, we have issues within our family that we think will never be resolved. Whether it's a feud between brothers or whether it's planning, family planning, and you just can't have children and and we think, man, that's never going to be resolved. Some of us have physical conditions that are haunting us. Our, our next step in the Marine Corps, or, or they're haunting our families. Maybe your family just learned that someone in, that you're close to has, has cancer, and, and so it haunts, it haunts all of us. 
here's what I know. Some of us have work problems that seem insurmountable. There's a story that goes around about another tightrope walker. And he goes, he, he goes across full, uh, back and forth, back and forth. Everyone's cheering him on, cheering him on, cheering him on. And then he goes and grabs a wheelbarrow and, and he goes across the tightrope with a wheelbarrow and then he comes back across to the other side and everyone's cheering him on, cheering him on, cheering him on. You're so awesome. That's amazing. And he says, who thinks I can do it with someone in the wheelbarrow? And everyone's like, yeah, 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 you can do it. And he said, all right, who's going to get in? No one said anything. They said about what you just said. <laughs> right? Like God wants us to get in the wheelbarrow. If we're going to say we're going to trust him, we've got to do it. We've got to trust him in the highs when, when God has given us the visions and the dreams like he did Daniel, but we also got to trust him when we're about to walk into the furnace and saying, God, but even if you don't, I know where my eternity rests. When God's in control, we have less anxiety. We have little to worry about. We have nothing to fret about. Big things don't seem so big anymore. Our strength is not in us, but it's in God, and he is protecting and defending you. God's in control. He's in control of Daniel's situation, and I want to tell you, if you're a Christ follower, he's in control of your situation too. There were times when I grew up that we didn't have a lot, and so we relied really heavily on my grandparents. My parents were they split up and got back together, split up, got back together, split up, got back together, and eventually, eventually divorced. And, and if you've grown up in that, you know that not, not only has an emotional and physical toll, but there are financial issues that come along with it. Again, trusting that God's plan for marriage is best. And, uh, and your, kids, your kids go through it, and, and they wear that emotional toll. Your, your parents go through it. There are times that, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot because of it. And my, my grandmother, my grandfather's a, a preacher. He's retired now, but, but my grandmother, man, she's going to have a front row seat in heaven, I'm sure of it. And uh, she would always say this verse to us. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And uh, it says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Um, the NIV says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. At the time when we were kids, we didn't know that it was uh, scripture. <laughs> we just thought it was this thing Mamaw came up with. Um, cast all your cares and anxiety upon him. Not because he demands it, but because God cares for you. Who needs to do that? Um, I, I want to end this way. If you guys are going to play something, it'd be nice. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, this is going to be strange, and if you're new to Restore Church, we don't do stuff like this very often. Um, but uh, just, you can lay it on the thing if it's too weird for you, but, or just leave your hands in your, in your lap or whatever you're doing, but just ball up two fists. Just ball them up and um, make them tight. Knuckles are a little white, and it's kind of uncomfortable. What are you holding on to that you won't let God have? It's uncomfortable, right? Like, can you imagine walking around like this? Rock them, sock them, robots. Maybe it's money, and you won't trust God with it. Maybe it's your career. 
and you won't trust God with it. Maybe it's your marriage. You're holding on to something. Maybe it's, it's with your kids. Maybe it's your own personal sin. You won't give it up because you like it or like how it feels or like the position it puts you in or whatever it is. Just hold on to it. And I, I just, just keep holding. And I want you to pray with me. God, we believe that you are the same today as you were yesterday. And God, we believe that you have the power, the same power that you had in the time of Daniel. God, we believe that there's the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the Holy Spirit you've given to us. God, it hurts to hang on. It hurts to, to hold on to these clenched fists, these burdens, whatever. So God, here in a second, give us the courage to let go. To give them to you and to leave them there. So God, here are our cares, here's our anxiety, and we're giving them to you, not because you're demanding it, but because you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You still have your clenched fist. Man, this is uncomfortable. <clears throat> here's what happens when we refuse to, to open our hands up. You still got them? You can't love people. It's really hard. Like God's asking you to give, but you've got, you're holding. God's asking you to care for something or someone, and, and it, it's just, God, I, I, I can't give financially because my budget's a little too tight, and God's like, dude, just, if you trust me with your finances, you'll be all right. My arm's starting to hurt. Um, we're like holding on to this grudge against our spouse or against a friend. God's like, I want you to forgive them or ask for forgiveness, but you won't because you're holding on too tight. Hey, if you're ready, whatever it is in your hands, if you're ready to let God have it, and don't do this if you're not ready. Right? But don't, let go. I'm going to be real honest with you. I got two things in this hand. I, I'm going to let go of this one. I don't want to let go of this one. And if we can just be real transparent, I got to ask someone for forgiveness. I just haven't done it yet. And I don't want to right now. <laughs> I mean, I know God tells me I should, right? Okay, so we're just being honest. I'm no different than you. But it hurts, right? It, it hurts. If you're right to do that, let go of whatever hands you've got to. Don't say it out loud, but just whisper, God, you're in control. <laughs>